Text this morning is one simple verse from the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 where the Bible says do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit be filled with the spirit that is a command it's not a suggestion it isn't something that Christians might ought to consider but it's in the imperative it is a command from God be filled with the spirit let me ask you a question today assuming that Many, if not most of you, are already believers in Jesus Christ. Would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Somebody would say, well, Pastor, what would it mean for me if I was filled with the Spirit of God? Simply put, you would have a whole new powerful living that you do not have right now. If you were filled with the Spirit of God, you would not wake up in the morning bound only to what you are able to do, or what the people around you are able to do in their own strength, you would get up every morning with a power that comes only from heaven. You could face whatever the day brought with the power of God. And don't pass that too fast. Consider this. You would face, if you were filled with the Spirit of God, when you wake up in the morning, you would face today filled with the power that created this world. If you open your Bible to Genesis 1, we don't have time to do that this morning, But you would discover that very quickly in the Bible, we are presented the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit brooded over the world before it was created. So if you were filled with the Spirit of God, you would face today with the same power that created this world. You would also face today, according to the book of Romans, with the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead. Now, those are two extraordinary miracles, creation and the resurrection. But it becomes personalized when you are filled with the Spirit because you get up in the morning and you can face the day, you can face the challenges that you have with the same power that God used to create the world and the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Now, I know our series is called Spirit-Filled Family Living. I've been preaching to you all summer now and now in the fall how that you need more than your own strength to have a godly family. If you're a Christian and you have a family, I believe it's your desire to see your family walk in the ways of God. But the family is under attack today more than it ever has been. And it's very challenging to have a godly family. And I hope you don't take this as an insult. But I got to tell you, you can't do it. You cannot do it. You cannot have an overcoming family. And I cannot have an overcoming family in my own strength. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I've been pleading For these last weeks from June, the first week of June until now, to see that we focus on the filling of the Holy Spirit in our families. See, here's the point. If you were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, there would be a fresh power that would descend upon your family, on your marriage, on your relationship with your children, on your relationship with your parents. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came in great power on the church, it transformed what was going on. Now, I know, I know theologically that we already have the Spirit of God, and I know that. But I also think that that position has been presented to the extreme to anesthetize us to the pain of not having the power of God in our lives. What I want to say to you is when the power of the Holy Spirit falls on your home, things will be different. Things will be different in your marriage. I was reading this week, I I had opened a commentary uh, from a, on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And one of my favorite writers, as I'm, assure, as I'm sure it is with many of you uh, contemporary current writers, is Warren Wiersbe. 
And I was reading what Warren Wiersbe had to say about Ephesians 5, verse 18. Now, one more time, let me give you that verse. Remember, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Doesn't say anything about the family, right, within that verse. I was amazed at what Warren Wiersbe said in his commentary on Ephesians 5, 18. I want to read it to you now and listen, if you will, please, to his comments on the family. Wiersbe said this, the secret of harmony in the home and on the job is the fullness of the Spirit. The unity of the church and the harmony of the home both depend on the Spirit. Now listen to this quote. This is incredible. It is power from within, not pressure from without, that holds the church and the home together. That's what I've been preaching to you all summer. It's not some extraneous force that acts upon your home and family. It's not some ship coming in that's going to change your life. It's the power from within you, child of God, that has the power to hold your home together. Last week, I told you that in the previous centuries, there was an emphasis on the filling of the Holy Spirit, not in order that people might talk in some kind of gibberish, not in order that people could lay on the floor, lie on the floor and laugh in, com- in convulses of so-called holy laughter. That wasn't why people were seeking the fullness of the Spirit a hundred years ago. People wanted the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we call or what they call personal work. And quite honestly, they were a great deal more concerned about the lost than we are in our generation. What's amazing is it, it took until the year 1830 for the world to reach one billion in population. Not until 1930 were there two billion. By 1960, there were three billion. I mean, we have watched an exponential explosion in the world's population. But a century ago, they were deeply concerned about the lost and they had a lot fewer of them. And so what they understood was that there was no eloquence that a pastor could have in the pulpit that would draw people to salvation. They well understood that there was no program that a Christian might, in, uh, might learn and help him to reach the lost. They knew that that couldn't be done through the means of the flesh. And they depended on the power of the Holy Spirit to help them do what they call personal work or bringing people to Jesus Christ. And so I shared with you how I read R.A. Torrey's great book, The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit, written a century ago and the impact that it had on my life. And last week in part one of this message on the filling of the Holy Spirit, I shared with you that there were seven essentials that Torrey said were necessary for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not sure that that's a definitive work, but I can tell you this. I believe he's on the right track biblically. Last week, I shared the first two out of the seven. Because it was important, number one, that we all understand that before you can have the filling of the Holy Spirit, you must be saved. A lost person cannot have it. If you're a religious person just going through the motions here today, carrying your Bible, sitting through a sermon, singing the songs, if you've never been born again by the Spirit of God, you cannot have the filling of the Holy Spirit. You must have the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that comes through salvation. If you invited Jesus Christ into your heart and life, turn from your sin, today you could have salvation. But until you're born again, you cannot have the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me go a step further. Tori said, and I I agree wholeheartedly. He said the next step is believer's baptism. Baptism has nothing at all to do with salvation. Baptism does not save you. Water cannot save you. You can go through the baptistry up there. And if you're not born again, you'll go down a dry center and come up a wet center. Nothing will change. Because baptism cannot wash away your sins. 
But what is the place of baptism? It's the very first thing that God asks you to do after you've been born again. The Bible says they that gladly received his word were baptized. It's a command of God. In the Great Commission, go ye into all the world. And the Bible says preaching and teaching and making disciples, baptizing. Baptism is part of the Great Commission. Not part of salvation, but it's part of the Great Commission. So here's the thing. If you've been saved, if you've been born again, but you have not obeyed the Lord's first command, how can He fill you with His Holy Spirit when you're still rebelling against the very first thing that the Lord asks you to do? Now, I've been there. I know what it's like to be saved for a number of years before I follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I shared that with you last week. I had made a profession of faith. I was baptized, but I was not genuinely saved. Two years later, I really was saved, truly born again. But I was afraid to walk down the aisle and present myself as a candidate for baptism. And I kept saying to myself, well, you know, I was baptized. But hey, I wasn't baptized because I hadn't been saved yet. There's an order. Baptism is a testimony of true conversion. How can you give a testimony of true conversion when it hasn't happened yet? And I remember as a young teenager when I walked the aisle that Sunday morning and took my dad's hand at the altar and said, I need to be scripturally baptized. And that wasn't something that any preacher had told me. I discovered that in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit convicted me as a teenager and made me realize that I need to deal with that. Now, that's what I talked to you about last week. But now, this morning, I want to make a transition. Assuming now that we all understand that you must be saved and you must be scripturally baptized, let's look now at the next five steps for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And since we're now talking about those who are born again, let us call this message for believers only. This is for people who have been saved, who want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know you've been born again. You have no doubts. Uh, And then secondly, I want to preach to those today who desire the filling of the Holy Spirit enough that they are willing to do what is necessary to have it. Now, there are two things involved in that. Number one, you must desire the filling of the Holy Spirit. Many Christians have little interest in the filling of the Holy Spirit. I can preach about it, but it's not something that you want passionately. You're like the little girl who got a pincushion from her grandmother for her birthday, and she wrote a thank you note, obligatory thank you note that her mother made her write. She wrote, Dear Grandmother, thank you for the pincushion. I always wanted one, just not very much. And there, there may be some of you this morning that that's how it is with the filling of the Holy Spirit. You always wanted it, just not very much. you like Esau. Esau had a birthright coming to him by the right of primogenitor. He was the oldest. It was his. But he also wanted a bowl of beans. And there came a moment when he wanted a bowl of beans more than he wanted his birthright. The Word of God tells us that the filling of the Holy Spirit is your birthright if you're God's child. Let me just take a moment. I know our time is limited today, but I have just got to read this to you from the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 9. The Bible says, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers... We have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
Because those, look at this, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit, notice capital letter there for the S, the Spirit of Sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Friend, if Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord, the filling of the Holy Spirit is your birthright. At the moment you were born again, God desired for you to have the filling of His Holy Spirit. It is your birthright. But now the question is, do you want it? Do you want it? Remember, I said I'm preaching to people who want the filling, who desire the filling of the Spirit enough that they're willing to pay the price to have it. The first part is, do you want it? Second part is, are you willing to pay the price that is necessary to have the filling of the Holy Spirit? Listen, friend, salvation is a free gift. But if you are sincerely desiring to have the filling of the Holy Spirit, there are some things that you must be willing to do to receive it. And I know for some of you, it's all over. You may not want it, just like Esau. If you can keep getting the bowls of beans that this life provides for you, if you can get some money and put it aside and take it easy and retire, that's all you want. Get a little hell insurance, come to church on Sunday morning, and that's that. Or it may be that there are some here today who are afraid of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, I am concerned that there might be some listening to the sound of my voice today who would desire the filling of the Holy Spirit, but not enough to pay the price. But for you who desire it, you who are at least willing to look into what is necessary to have it. Let me start by giving you this encouragement. God wants you to be filled with his spirit. You will not have to twist God's arm. God wants you to have it. He desires for you to have it. It's your birthright. It belongs to you. God wants to put his power on your life. The question is, are you willing to do what's necessary to have the filling? Let me get right to that right now. I'm going to give you five things this morning. This is for believers only. Five, five essentials to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the first one is not pleasant for the flesh anyway. Here's the first one. Renounce sin. Renounce sin. Think back on our text. What does the Bible say in Ephesians 5.18? Do not get drunk with wine. That's a sin. But then it says, be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, drunkenness is mentioned there. But you can put just about anything else in that, in that formula. Because if you are filled with sin, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that's true by, by simple definition. A container cannot be filled and then filled with something else when it's already filled. Before it can be filled again, it must be empty. What the Bible is teaching us here is that we can either have sin in our hearts or the Holy Spirit, but not both. And when I speak of sin, church, I'm not talking about a Christian slipping and falling. We all do that. We all succumb in a split second of temptation. And maybe we say an unkind word or we lose our temper or we do something foolish. I'm not talking about that necessarily. What I'm talking about is a sin pattern in our lives. Something that we continually do. In the, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible talks about the sin that so easily besets us. The sin that tangles us up. If we have turned part of our hearts over to sin, there is simply not enough room for the Holy Spirit to fill us. And in his great book on the Holy Spirit, Tori reminds us the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit. Men, I want you to hear me today. 
Because I know what the temptation of our hour is. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if you let pornography into your life. And there's a lot of stuff out there that is characterized as normal, that in reality it is nothing but pornography. There's a lot of stuff on television that is pornography. A lot of stuff on the internet, obviously, that is pornography. And men get into the grip of that. But I want you to know today, child of God, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and have pornography in your life. Lady, you can't be filled with the Spirit if you let tailbearing and gossip into your life. Teen, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if you let rebellion into your life. And you can put anything you want to in that blank. Laziness, profanity, lust, lying, anger. You cannot put anything in that blank in your life and have the Holy Spirit too. Last week I preached to you about salvation. And how that what we see in the modern definition of salvation little resembles what was considered salvation in the last century. Let me extend that this morning. What passes for Christianity today little resembles Christianity a hundred years ago. The idea is today, if you're a Christian, you can go to church once a week, own a Bible, listen to some Christian music. If you do that, you're a Christian. And beyond that, you can go out and do whatever you want to do, and nobody had better say anything about it. Friend, that may fool us sappy Americans, but it does not fool God. Tory writes, It is not enough that we renounce one sin or two sins or three sins or many sins. We must renounce all sin. If we cling to one single known sin, it will prevent us from receiving the blessing. You see what I mean by asking, are you willing to pay the price? My guess is that some dropped out right there. There is a sin in your life that you love too much to let God have his way. There's something that you like too much that you know is wrong and you don't want to let go of it. I want you to listen also to what Tori says as he goes on. He says, here we find the cause of failure in many people who are praying for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Going to conventions and hearing about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Reading books about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps spending whole nights in prayer and yet obtaining nothing. Why? Because there is some sin to which they are clinging. People often say to me or write to me, I have been praying for the baptism with the Holy Spirit for a year, five years, ten years, one man said twenty years. Why do I not receive? In many such cases, I feel led to reply, it is sin. And if I could look down into your heart this moment as God looks down into your heart, I could put my finger on the specific sin. It may be what you are pleased to call a small sin, but there are no small sins. There are sins that concern small things. But every sin is an act of rebellion against God. A controversy with God about the smallest thing is enough to shut out the blessing. Here's the point, church. We must want the filling of the Holy Spirit more than we want any known sin in our lives. Until we come to the place where we want God more than we want what the flesh wants, we cannot have the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you right now. I mean, I don't, I don't want to toy with you this morning. I want to ask you the question, are you willing at this moment to deal with sin in your heart? Let me ask you this. Are you willing at least to search your heart and to see if there might be some sin in your life that is keeping you from the filling of the Holy Spirit? If so, let's go now to the next step and to what I believe to be the most challenging, the most challenging thing before you can be filled with the Spirit of God. Somebody can say, Pastor... Didn't you just deal with the toughest right there with sin? Friend, I got to tell you, in my heart, in my life, 
What I just talked about isn't nearly as, as difficult as what I'm about to talk about. And by the way, let me just ratchet this up for a moment. If I gave you all seven steps after salvation, if I gave you all seven steps to the filling of the Holy Spirit, and you said, Pastor, after salvation, which is the most important one? I would tell you this. If you can do this one, if you can deal with this one, I believe you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here it is. Absolute surrender to God. I preach that this morning based on the Word of God, and I also preach it based on personal experience. Things I'm going to say this morning right now are holy ground for me, and to be honest, it's personal enough that it's not comfortable for me to even talk about these things. But there have been several occasions in my ministry when I've gone from a state of spiritual barrenness to a state of great productivity. I mean, from one end of the spectrum to the other, from being so discouraged I didn't know if I wanted to keep going, to feeling the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that I could not find words to describe it. I can tell you, in every case, when I went from spiritual dryness to spiritual power, there was always a situation in which God was breaking me down to the point where I was finally willing to let go of what I wanted and to accept what God wanted in my life. And I could tell you, if I, could, if I, if I were open with you enough, I could tell you some specific areas that God has dealt with me about, some things that God wanted to do that I didn't want him to do, or things that God didn't want to do that I wanted him to do. And it was not until I said, okay, Lord, thy will be done, that God brought the power in my life. And here's the thing, church. If we desire the filling of the Holy Spirit, we must be willing to accept God's will in our lives. And I want to stress that. You must be willing to accept God's will. I've been preaching now for 30 years. And through the years I started, when I was 16 years old, I preached a lot of youth revivals. After I preached, I'd always have people come to me and still do to this day. They will say, Pastor, how can we find the will of God? How can I find the will of God? Let me tell you something. 99% of God's will will find you. You won't have to find it. It will find you. It will come to you. Now, there will be some situations where you'll have to pray and ask God for guidance. I do know that. And you may have to wait on God for guidance, but that's, 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 the, that, that's a very minute part of your life. 99% of God's will will come find you. And the question is, are you willing to accept it? Are you willing to accept what God wants to do in your life. And I'm not necessarily talking about what others do to harm us, but I'm just saying God will allow us to be in situations that we will not have chosen for ourselves. And the question is, can we accept that? Now, while I'm, while I'm confessing this morning, could I just tell you that I can be, and I know this is hard for you to believe, that your pleasant pastor could be this way, but I can be pretty stubborn. Is there anyone else like that here today? And those, don't elbow your husband, please don't do that. But I can be pretty stubborn. I always tell my boys there are four kinds of people in the world listed from top to bottom. Number one, at the top, there are the smart but humble. Those kinds of people, you can just put a letter S on their chest for success. Because people who are smart and humble will always rise to the top. They work hard, they learn what they need to know, but they are humble and they're not proud. So that's at the top, the smart and the humble. Then the group right below them are the dumb and the humble. Right? I mean, they may not be smart, 
But they're humble, they're teachable, they're docile, they'll learn. They'll learn. And so, you know, those people, they may not get to that top level. They may not be where the smart and the humble are, but the dumb and the humble can go a long way. And then there's the third group. They're, they're the smart, but the stubborn. And those people, they'll get, they'll, they'll, they'll get quite a distance just on their intelligence. And they're stubborn. They'll have to learn a lot of things the hard way. Smart and stubborn. But the last group, the group that nobody can afford to be in, are the stupid and the stubborn. And I always tell my boys, you can't afford to be stupid and stubborn. But that's how I am with God sometimes. Stupid and stubborn. Because compared to what God knows, I'm dumb. God knows the future. God knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for my wife. He knows what's best for my children. I don't know any of those things. And the problem is when I get stubborn and I don't know what I need to know. And that's when I start playing tug of war with God. Now, I pastor a church, so obviously you can imagine that the stakes are very high for me. Because when I get stubborn and stupid with God, and I get into a tug-of-war with Him, one of the first places I notice it is in my ministry. I get up to preach, I preach the Word of God, but I don't feel the power of God's Holy Spirit. There's a little dryness there. And the longer I continue in my stubbornness, the more I feel that dryness. God may bring something to me, but I don't want it. Maybe even unconsciously, I refuse. What happens? God shuts off the power. I'm still working. I'm still ministering. In fact, often at that point in my ministry, I may be working to the point of exhaustion. Because I want to see good things happen. Listen, I got to tell you something. Just being honest here, I've never been slick enough to fake it. If God's power is there, God's power is there. If it's not there, it's not there. In case you haven't discovered it, church... Take it from a guy who knows it's a losing proposition to play tug of war with God. Like Jacob of old, I've done that to the point of exhaustion until I would finally give up in weakness. Listen, give up to God in weakness only to be surprised that that was when the power of God fell. See, when we are weak, we are strong. When we yield to God and say, okay, God, it's your plan, not my plan. That's when the power comes, see. We're so backward. We think the power comes when we learn the right things and we know the right things and we're sharp and we're slick and we're prepared and we're ready to go and nobody can stump us. That's when we think the power comes. But then God lets us fall on our face. But it's when we do fall on our face that God says, all right, now you're right where I wanted you to be in the first place. Our time is limited. I know it's 12 o'clock now, but I... There are a couple of stories that come to my mind. I remember, I don't have time to tell this in this link, but just accept the dynamics of this story and let me give you my personal testimony as I do that. I remember many years ago, actually not, not that many years ago, less than a decade ago, God was bringing something in my life, a situation that God wanted, and I clearly did not want it. I didn't think it was the right thing, didn't, didn't, didn't like it, didn't like what God wanted in my life at that point. And I remember being very, not bitter, but just intransigent. I got to the place where I said, okay, God, you may do this, but I don't want it. And I'm, I'm like the little boy, you know, who was told uh, to, uh, to sit down. He wouldn't sit down. Finally, his mother just pushed him down in the chair. And she said, how about that? He said, I may be sitting down right now, but in my mind, I'm standing up. And that's kind of how it was with God right there. I wanted God to know I was standing up. And I went through a time of dryness. But I never will forget what happened. 
when I finally said, okay, God, you can have your way. And beyond that, I just finally turned it over to God and said, God, that's fine. Up to that point, I got to tell you, up to that point, I had noticed a difference in my difference in my ministry. But I remember having several revivals. In fact, it was the year that Stephen was born. He was born on a Thursday. The following Saturday, I had to leave and go to Tulsa to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night in Tulsa. I'd been up for 48 hours when Stephen was born. I was tired when I left to go to Tulsa. But God bless in that meeting. Now, as crazy, as crazy as only I can be with my schedule, I, months before, I, we didn't think Stephen was going to be born uh, that, several weeks early, which he was. I had accepted another revival meeting or another conference in Fairfax, Virginia. The pastor had called and said, would you come and preach for us for this conference beginning Wednesday night through Sunday? I said, I can't preach Wednesday night. I'm closing out a meeting in Tulsa, Oklahoma that night. He said, not a problem. He said, we'll have someone else preach on Wednesday. If you could get back home, catch an airplane, fly to Fairfax, Virginia, and preach for us on Thursday night, preach Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday, actually Sunday morning twice and Sunday night, he said, we'll have, well, that'll be fine. So here I am, 48 hours. I've been up when Steve was born. He was born several weeks early. And then on top of that, I have to, I have to get in the car, drive to Tulsa, preach all that time, drive back to Wichita Wednesday night after service, get in about 2 o'clock in the morning, stayed up the rest of the night, Mary Alice and Stephen, next morning caught an airplane, flew to Fairfax, Virginia. I got to tell you something, folks. When I sat on the front seat of that church building in Fairfax, Virginia, I was so weak. I didn't even have the physical strength to get up out of there and walk to the platform. But when I did, the most amazing thing happened. I felt a strength that I did not know. And as I began to preach, God came and worked in a great way in that great church. When the altar call was given, there were people praying in the aisles on the floor in front of the altar. People actually got up on the altar because the power of God had come. I remember a situation, a great tragedy that happened in our church about, about a decade ago. And I had gone to youth camp with our teenagers. And I was so devastated, I did not feel like preaching. I was not scheduled to go to youth camp. At that point, they usually, at the camp we used to go to, they would have the pastor speak. There was a morning service and an evening service. And, uh, and I was not scheduled to go to camp, so therefore I wasn't scheduled to speak. But the strangest thing happened. At youth camp in those days, there would always be someone saved in every service. In a morning service, there would be one or two saved. Evening service, maybe two or three saved. And that's the way it went through camp. But it was the strangest camp. Monday night came, nobody came forward. Tuesday morning came, nobody came forward. Tuesday night, no one walked the aisle. I mean, we were having the strangest camp. Wednesday morning, no one came forward. It was just incredible. Wednesday night, no one came. Thursday morning after the service, the camp director and several of the other pastors came to my cabin and they said, we want to talk to you, Mark. They said, we want you to preach tonight. And I said, I don't want to preach tonight. I don't feel like preaching. I'm just too exhausted to preach. I'm dealing with a really tough situation, a great tragedy. And I said, I just really don't feel like preaching. In fact, I said, I'm not going to preach. And so at lunch, they came back to me, the same group. They said, Mark, we've been thinking about this and praying about this. We want you to preach tonight. I said, I don't want to preach tonight. I'm not going to preach tonight. It was the first time in my ministry that I ever felt like I felt I didn't want to preach. Finally, before, before dinner that evening, we were all going to dinner. We went together as a church group. The director of the camp came to me and he said, Mark, tonight in the service, when the time comes for the preacher to preach, 
We're going to call your name and say that you're our preacher. If you don't come forward, nobody's going to preach tonight. Now, I got to tell you, you talk about arm twisting, that's it. (laughs) And in a moment that some of you will remember, I told the young people, I said, I don't feel like preaching tonight, but I've got to. We went out, I can still see it like yesterday. We went outside the the little lunch area, the, the dinner area of the camp. And all of our high school kids made a circle around me and held hands. And one by one, they began to pray and say, God, help our pastor tonight. God, you know he doesn't feel like preaching. Would you help our pastor tonight? God, he doesn't have the strength. I'll never forget those prayers. As those high schoolers stood around me and prayed for God's power to follow me. That night when I got up to speak, I cannot, I cannot explain it to this day. I got, in fact, it's interesting. I was holding a revival meeting years later in Crane, Texas, and the pastor came to me. He was at camp that night. He said, Mark, and this is significant to what we're talking about. He said, Mark, in my whole life, I've never seen an outpouring of the Holy Spirit except for, and he mentioned the night at camp. When I got to preach that night, the power of God fell. Even before I gave the invitation, people began to come forward. There were 47 people saved that night. In fact, that was the only time in the history of that youth camp that they ever delayed curfew. They delayed curfew to midnight because people were still getting saved. A pastor's wife was saved that night. They were queued up, lined up getting saved after that service. And all I'm saying to you is this, and I'm sorry for rambling this morning. I'm just trying to tell you this. You're not going to have the power of God because you know more Bible than anybody else. You're not going to have the power of God because you're the slickest Christian. No pastor is going to have the power of God because he dots every I and crosses every T like he's supposed to. And he's everything that people want him to be. Listen, the only way to have the power of God is to surrender your will to the will of God. And maybe God will even have to put us on our back before we'll get to that point. But if he does, it's because he He loves us. There's only one way to be filled with the Spirit, and that is to put your life on the altar as a living sacrifice. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Somebody could say, Pastor, I don't understand this at all. You're talking about weakness. How can there be power in weakness? How can I have power if I yield up my will to God's? Okay, I'm about to give you one of the most important verses. I know you have it already. I'm going to give you one of the most important verses any preacher ever gave you in your life. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, here's the thing. Listen. Think with me, please. I know it's 12 o'clock or after 12 o'clock, but give me just a few more minutes. When you think about humbling yourself, what do you think about? You think about weakness, right? We think about giving up. But where does the Bible tell us to give up? Where are we to turn ourselves in? We're to turn ourselves in under the mighty hand of God. See, that's the key. Juxtapose your weakness against the power of God. The Bible doesn't say humble yourselves under the cruel hand of God, humble yourself under the punishing hand of God, humble yourself under the mean hand of God, but instead humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You see, here's the point. When a child of God will humble himself or humble herself under the mighty hand of God, you are where the power is. Well, I'm out of time, so I've got to run through the last steps real fast. So those of you who are fleet of finger, take the notes, and I want to give you three more steps intensely desire the filling of the Holy Spirit. Intensely desire it. 
Isaiah chapter 44 verse 3 says, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. I've already preached on desiring the Holy Spirit's filling, but that's it. That's the step. You must crave it, thirst it. God will do things for people who are thirsty for him. Then here is the next step. Pray specifically for the filling of the Holy Spirit. When I say pray specifically, I mean by that, ask God for the filling of his Holy Spirit in your life. Ask specifically. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In a companion text in Mark, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus said, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We're told in one verse, one, one, one text, that if we ask, God will give the Holy Spirit to us. Secondly, that God will give good things to us. Now, we know already we have the Holy Spirit, but what we are asking for, we are asking for the good things of the Holy Spirit. Ask. Make no mistake about it, there is a biblical connection between the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer. In Acts 4, verse 31, the Bible says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Ask. Ask. Well, let's review for a moment. Let's talk about the steps that we've seen to the filling of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about salvation, and baptism. Today we began with renouncing sin in our lives, absolute surrender to God, intensely desiring the filling of the Holy Spirit, praying specifically, asking God for it, and then finally, the final step, have faith. If you ask God, listen, if you are, if you are saved, if you follow the Lord in believer's baptism, if you're dealing with sin in your life, if you're surrendering to the will of God, if you crave it, if you desire the filling of the Holy Spirit, if you pray specifically asking for it, friend, let me tell you, you can pray in faith. There are some things that you cannot pray in faith. For instance, if you are, if you are sick, you cannot pray believing that God will heal you unless God has told you that he will. You can believe God can heal. You can believe that God has the power to heal, but you can only believe something that you have the word of God on because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you haven't had the word of God, you don't have anything to believe yet. That's where faith comes in. Faith is not believing what you want to happen will happen. There are a lot of people in the world that have that, that don't even believe in God. Faith is not making God your slave. It is believing God for what God has said he will do in his word. Now, here's the point. When you ask God for the filling of the Holy Spirit, you do not have to pray and say, okay, God, I know you have the power to fill me, but I wonder whether or not you're going to do it. If you are willing to deal with sin, if you are willing to surrender to the will of God, if you crave the Holy Spirit, if you ask him for it specifically, you can pray in faith knowing that God will keep his word because he wants you to have it. In fact, he wants you to have it so much, he's commanded you to have it. Well, I guess I'm nervous any time a Baptist preacher has seven points like I have today. And you always wonder where people are in a sermon like this. There may be someone here today who would say, Pastor, I fear that I've never been saved. I don't know for sure if I were to die, go to heaven. Friend, let me just ask you, when the invitation is given, make your way, meet me right here. And someone will pray with you and you can receive Jesus Christ. Maybe someone's here today and you say, Pastor, I've been saved, but I've never been scripturally baptized. 
And I'm kind of nervous about this because I'd have to embarrass myself if I came forward in a church like this. Friend, I know I've been there. Put God first. The filling of the Holy Spirit is so important, you don't want to miss out on this. There could be, and I hope no one's like this, but there could be someone here today who'd say, I don't care. As long as I can get out of here in time to watch the Chiefs, go to lunch, that's all that matters to me. Like Esau, the bowl of beans. I just don't care. I don't think there's anything we can do for you. I mean, I, I guess you might as well just go ahead and go. Because if you don't care, you don't desire it, what can God do? But there's somebody who would say, Pastor, I care, but I don't want to pay the price. To you, I challenge, consider the wealth of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Consider how valuable it would be in your life. Consider how valuable the filling of the Holy Spirit would be in your marriage, in your relationship with your children. i got to tell you something. I have three sons, and every day I need the filling of the Holy Spirit to work with them. They need the filling of the Holy Spirit to be able to work with me. We need His power. There could be someone who would say, Pastor, I don't believe that stuff is for today. I study the Bible, I listen to Christian radio, and I I know a lot about the Bible, but I don't believe that stuff, the filling of the Holy Spirit, I don't believe that's for today. Could I ask you a question? Why would you think that? Do we not need it today? Do we not need the power of God today? I mean, are we so sophisticated in our churches today that with our magnificent buildings and our great sound systems and our visual stuff and Is it just that we don't need the Holy Spirit today? i got to tell you, we need Him more today than we have ever needed Him in the history of the world. Why with six million people would we not need the filling of the Holy Spirit? Oh, we need Him today. And here's what I'm asking you. If you're here today and you've never been saved, please come talk to me. If you're here today and you need to be scripturally baptized, make that commitment today. God may have led some of you to become members of Messiah Baptist Church. You come today. But I just wonder if there might be some here this morning who desire the filling of the Holy Spirit. And God is touching your heart and life. And you would just say, by kneeling before God today, God, I need this. I want this in my life. And I am willing to pay the price for you the transforming power of God is possible. Let us stand. You've been listening to the Messiah Hour, sponsored by the Messiah Baptist Church at 12,200 East 21st Street in Wichita. Join us again next week on KMYR at 9 a.m. for the Messiah Hour.